this is the second message in the series called Inside Out, and we're in the book of 2 Corinthians, just looking at certain scriptures in the book. And uh, in there, we get these little glimpses where we get a picture of things that God sees inside of us once we've been returned to him, once we put our trust in Christ, our creator, and become his followers. God starts showing things that we can be. He sees us in a certain way, and if we can see it too, it's meant to catalyze us to cooperate with him in becoming who it is he says we can become. Now, I want to start today by getting you to think about something that um, it's kind of obvious to us. We, we are a people, we are a culture that uh, never get enough of stories. When you think about it, you know, we are constant readers, we're reading stories, uh, even music. Music is full of stories. If you listen to the words, at least some of the music is full of stories. And then, of course, TV. We're watching stories all the time and it's an interesting thing to me we never get tired of stories we're always fascinated we always want the next story and when we watch stories when we read stories and encounter stories they have a way of immediately sometimes altering our emotional state you know we all know what it's like you know you might be in a kind of a neutral state emotionally and you uh, encounter a story, maybe you're watching something on TV, and all of a sudden, it might bring you to tears. You know, it just suddenly, you're moved, you're pulled in, and your emotional state inside has changed. Uh, the opposite of that would be is you're in kind of a neutral state emotionally, but you start watching something that's funny, and even though you were maybe in a kind of a neutral state, you're, you're just laughing and hilarious, out, laughing out loud, cheerful, and so forth. So, we love stories. We, we seem to never get enough of them. It seems to be made, we're designed in a way that we, we are always looking. And that's the third thing. We're always, I think, in search for the story. There, there seems to be this elusive story. There's this ultimate story. There's this better story that knowingly or unknowingly, we always are, I think, in search of. We're always looking for the ultimate story, the story that, that really answers all questions, that tells us who we are, where we came from, why we're here, why are things as they are, what's going, going wrong, who's going to change things, is there hope, what about all the problems, is there any solutions, is there any hope? We, we, we're hoping, we're looking for a story that's the ultimate story, the better story, better than all the other stories together. Now, there's a last point that I want to take us to, and this is a little bit personal. I believe that each of us have a story, a prevailing story, that is going on inside of us more or less all the time, whether we know it or not. Uh, so let's, let's focus on that just for a minute. I forgot that. <laughs> Uh, let, let's, let's back up a bit. I got ahead of myself. Uh, matter of fact, let's skip that. Better yet, let's skip all that and let's go to prevailing story. Let's just do that today. Here we go. What's your prevailing story? And again, my, my assumption is that in each of us, there is a story that's going on all the time. And this story, it tends to alter my mood. It tends to color the emotional state that I'm in. And it can shape and guide and drive the course of my life. Uh, let, let, me, let me show you a little bit about what, what this is built of, uh, on, this prevailing story. That's the end of it. I'm not sure why we're starting at the end. <laughs> is that where we're at now? Are we sure? Okay. <laughs> okay. Where did these prevailing stories come from? Let's go to the next one. 
first of all, our view of reality. We, we come into this world and we start to determine what we believe in, what we think is true, what we think is real. And that starts to create this story inside of us. The next part, early developmental experiences. You know, the way that our caretakers in particular treat us. You know, they, they may make us feel like we are just perfect, we're just wonderful, we are faultless, we deserve everything all the time, when we want it, how we want it, or they may make us feel that we're never quite good enough, we're really not very lovable, we really aren't of much worth, but these early developmental experiences, they start building the story. Next part, our interpretation of those experiences. You can get two children in the same family that are treated, the parents think, fairly, but one child, because they are given a lot of attention, feels like I'm just wonderful and special. The other child feels like I'm picked on all the time. So our story is developed by our interpretation of those experiences. Next part. Our conclusions about ourselves and others. So in this story, we start concluding, I'm really special. The whole world revolves around me or I'm a loser. I'm on. I'm, unattractive. I'm never going to be liked. I'm never going to be loved. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not ever going to fit in. We start coming to conclusions about this. And from this, we develop these coping systems. Some of us, we, we are full of anxiety. We're full of fear. We're full of insecurity. And so we build systems to help ourselves feel as safe as we can. Others of us, we think, again, that everything belongs to us. Everything ought to be done for us. We always ought to have our way. We always ought to have our will done. And so we start manipulating things in life to get that as well. So there's a story, there's a story, a prevailing story that I believe is going on inside of all of us all the time. Now the thing about this story is this, this story is not to be trusted. It, it's not accurate, whether it's a positive, whether it's giving you a positive emotional state or a negative emotional state, it's not accurate, it's not to be trusted. And it needs desperately to be incorporated into a better story, a true story, an ultimate story. So with that in mind, uh, I'd like you to go ahead and, and turn, if you would, in your Bibles now. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to kind of tune in a little bit about the importance of story, and, and in particular, the ultimate story, the better story. And that would be page uh, 1301. And as you're turning, I give you a little background. You've got to understand, the Apostle Paul, he had been serving Christ when he wrote this for 21 years. And he's about four or five years since he started this church in Corinth. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18 when he started church. But, but picture this. He's this Jewish guy. He goes into this Greek city. He's an outsider. He's a stranger. He's a foreigner. And it's a city full of stories. Corinth was full of religious stories in particular, but there were philosophical stories too. All kinds of stories. This Jewish guy goes in and he starts telling this story about this creator, this creator that is loving and sacrificial, this creator that made everything that there is and made it with a purpose, with an intention, with a plan, who foresaw all that was going to go right and all that was going to go wrong and made provision to bring it to a good outcome ultimately. This creator who came into time and space and existed on the planet of his own making, revealed himself for 33 years, and then died on a Roman cross, and then raised himself from the dead, and ascended back into another dimension, into heaven. Paul comes telling this story to people, and this story says that this is the answer to everything. This is the answer to all mankind's needs. This is the answer to your deepest desires, 
And this God, this creator, comes offering you his loving forgiveness of everything you've ever done. You don't have to be afraid at all. He wants you. He loves you. He's for you. All you've got to be willing to do is trust him and essentially want him too. And then you can enter into his everlasting kingdom. It's a story that ends well. So Paul goes into Corinth and he's just telling this story. And people start to respond. Some here, some there, some over there don't, some here do. And so it's been through history. And the ones that respond, though, they find that this story, this better story, this ultimate story has a way of countering these prevailing stories that are going on inside of all of us, making some of us have a very difficult time in life. Listen, some of us have prevailing story is a painful one. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's a negative story. And many times people involve themselves or get involved in addictions because they can't quite put their finger on why they don't feel good. They just never feel good. Maybe they don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel good about life. They don't know it's this story that's been developed that's cranking on inside of them. And then suddenly they discover one day that maybe some alcohol, maybe some drugs, maybe something else, that it breaks this cycle of feeling uncomfortable. And the next thing you know, they're addicted. They just want to escape this bad feeling, but the bad feeling is the result of the bad story that they unknowingly have embraced. And so Paul comes into this Greek city, and, and he starts telling this, this greater story, this ultimate story, the story that's totally true, totally dependable, totally trustworthy, and, and those that receive it, they experience transformation from whatever those other stories were. And so it's been right down through the ages, and so it is even today. So... With that in mind, let's pick up reading. We're just going to read a few verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start there. We're going to start in verse 4. And Paul's going to be talking a lot about confidence and competence and adequacy and so forth. He says, now we have such confidence in God through Christ, not that we are adequate or competent in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves, but our adequacy or competency is from God, who made us adequate or competent to be servants of a new covenant. And I'm going to just paraphrase that, of a new story, not based on the letter, but on the spirit. The letter is the idea of when God wrote on the stones, the Ten Commandments, uh, but on the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, this passage, it's, it's, a, little, uh, it's a little complex, but essentially Paul was saying this. He discovered that he could be a competent, adequate servant minister of God. He learned he had something to offer. And what he's relating it to is this story. It's this story that he learned. If you read 1 Corinthians in particular, Paul says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians that when he went to the Corinthians, he tried to be very careful to tell them nothing but the story. He didn't try to wow them with his wisdom, with his learnings. He was a highly educated man. He said he deliberately did not do that. He just knew that it was this story that God was using to call people out, draw people back to himself, and he didn't want to interfere with the story at all. But the story is what made him adequate, an adequate minister, to minister, to care for, to serve the greatest, deepest needs that human beings have. Now, you know, we tend to think the greatest human beings have, it might be that, you know, they, they, we, obviously we need food, we need housing, we need education, we need those, and yeah, that's true. But that isn't the deepest need of a human being. Once you get those things, you know, and I know every human being has these longings, these deep longings that just having an education or adequate housing or adequate income, it doesn't cut it. It's not enough. 
we long for something that there's no indication that humanity has been able to produce. But this story, this ultimate story, this better story, it offers what all humanity has been longing for. It, it offers the deliverance that humanity has longed for from danger, from living in a world that's full of fear, from pain, from sorrow, from sickness, from heartbreak, from death, from prejudice, from hatred, from division, from war, from crime. It offers the, the solution to all those things. It tells us, this story tells us who we are, why we have value, what we're here to do. The purpose and the meaning of our life, this story gives meaning to every experience we have in life, even the most hardest ones. It's the ultimate story. And it makes us adequate servants of God. Maybe you've never thought of yourself, if you are a Christian, if you've put your trust in Christ and you're his follower, as being an adequate minister. But because we have such an adequate story, we are. We are adequate ministers. You, you hold within you the story that can change eternally somebody's destiny and life in this world and in the world to come. So let's, let's ask ourselves, you know, why is it that this story causes us to become so confident? We're confident because of the full revelation of God in Christ. This story is about the creator of the universe who comes into the world of his own making and reveals himself physically in physical form as a human being for about 33 years. Here's a simple thing that John says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, notice it's capitalized, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what does it say? Was God. This, this Word, it's a person. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, this is what the whole passage is talking about, is Himself, what does it say? The Scripture is redundant, folks, it's redundant. Occasionally I meet people these days, and I'm going to come back to that passage, but occasionally I meet people that they say, well, you know, I think Jesus is a good man. I think he's a good model. I think he's a good teacher. He might have been a prophet or something like that, but I don't believe he's God. Well, you have a problem because he claimed to be God in the scripture. He offered forgiveness of sins. He said that every human being would stand before him for judgment. He claimed that he was the one that had the power to give eternal life to others. He claimed to be God. So, as C.S. Lewis once said, he's either truly the Lord, like he says he is, or he's a liar, and there's no indication in his character that he's that, or he's a lunatic, and there's no indication in his character he's that. When a person takes a stand and says, you know, I, I believe Jesus is a nice person, good person to follow, but he's not God, you have a problem. You have now put yourself and your opinions above God and above lots of credible historical evidence that Jesus is, in fact, God in flesh. So it says, the one and the only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. This story is the best story. It's a better story, ultimate story, because we now have the full revelation of God. In the Old Testament, they didn't. The Old Testament was the beginning of the story. It was not adequate. It was not adequate enough to change people's hearts from the inside out. We saw that this God had good commandments, but the good commandments just made us feel bad because we couldn't keep them. And that just made us feel more afraid and more guilty. But the rest of the story, when God came in flesh, in fullness, we found the first thing. He's forgiving. He understands our brokenness. It's not a barrier at all with him. The only barrier is, are we willing to return to him in real relational trust? And so that's what makes this story more adequate. The old story, the beginning of the story, it needed an end. It was not adequate. The end of the story, it ends in Christ. And now it's, it's a powerful enough story to change those prevailing stories 
in each of our lives. And here's what I know about you because I know it about me. Some of us are stuck in those prevailing stories. They might not have the power over us that they used to, but, but there's any given day that old story can sneak up on you. You wake up one morning, you don't even know why, but you just feel sad or you feel angry or you feel guilty or you feel afraid or you feel like you're entitled or you feel like everybody ought to do what you want, but, but that old story starts to play again. And we have to go back to this bigger, better, ultimately true story. Let me add to this a bit when it's talking about it's competent because of the full revelation of God in Christ. In the book of New Testament book of Colossians, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness, this is exhausting human language in saying that Jesus is God, to have all his fullness dwell, be at home in, the Son. For in him all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Listen, everything that God could ever express about himself, he's expressed in Jesus of Nazareth. That's God made completely knowable for you and I. And that's what makes this story so powerful. Because it talks to us about a God that demonstrated how much broken, imperfect people like us matter. We don't have to prove anything. We don't have to jump higher. We don't have to run any faster. He loves us. He chases us down, literally. He literally chased us down in time to show vulnerably that he wants us to be his own and created us for himself all through eternity. It's a powerful story when you really let it in. It's an interesting story I came across by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He's a Christian writer and a pastor. And uh, he talks about this lady. Her name was Judith. And Judith was a lady who, she was 40 years old. She was an artist, very intelligent lady, you know, a lot of understanding of politics and psychology and lots of other things, very educated. But Judith had never been to a church in her life. She was 40 years old. And she knew zero about the Bible. Uh, maybe some of you can identify. Maybe, you know, I'm going to have you raise your hands, but maybe you're thinking, you know, I, I was in the same place, Randy. I was, a, I was an adult. I had never been to church. I didn't know anything about the Bible. Well, some friends started talking to Judith, and, and that story, that bigger, better story, had captured their hearts. And so they reached out to Judith, and they invited her to church. Now, she was not, not a likely candidate at all, being in the whole artistic community, but she came. 40 years old, first time she comes to church. She was stunned by what she heard. She started hearing the story, the big story, the better story, the ultimate story. She kept coming. She kept coming. And within months, Judith became a full follower of Christ. She put her trust in Christ. She was reconciled to her God. Now, what captured her was that she had been ignorant for so long. There was this great story. There was this set of great stories. And she didn't know. Nobody had ever told her. Listen to her own words. She said, where have I been all my life? These are incredible stories, talking about what she was finding in the Bible. Why didn't anyone tell me these? How come this has been going on all around me, and I never knew it? Eugene Peterson talked about how he loved watching her from Sunday to Sunday because she was so excited about all the truth, all the new things she was learning, all part of this, this big, beautiful, comprehensive, and potentially transforming story. So... We're competent as ministers because we now have the full revelation of God. We have the answers to everything. Theoretical physicists have always been looking for the, the theory of everything from Einstein's time. You know, they think they're going to find, you know, some sort of a formula to give the theory of everything in the world of physics in the universe. Uh, Hawking finally gave up on it before his death. But we have the answer to everything. This story 
is the answer to everything. It tells us everything we need to know to live this life fully and to live this life intelligently for all of our days. So it's competent for full transformation. Stories, you see, they modify our mood. Like I say, a story can make you sad, a story can make you happy, but it doesn't last. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't stick. You'll quickly switch, and the next story will affect you again. But this story, this story about the God who loves sacrificially and pursues those he created, this has a way of, of transforming us. It doesn't just alter our mood for a short time, but as we keep focused on it, it literally transforms us completely. A change of a story is a powerful thing. A change of a story can even transform a, an entire nation. And we've recently ha had an example of this. Uh, back, you remember the story of all the, the horrific years, decade after decade of apartheid in South Africa. And for 27 years, Nelson Mandela uh, locked away, all because he wanted justice and equality in his country. Didn't do anything to deserve it, really. Was treated very, very bitterly while he was in prison. And yet after 27 years, this man's released and becomes the president, the president, the first black president of South Africa after all the years of prejudice and apartheid. So 19, uh, 90, 90, 1994, he becomes president. He's released in 1990, he becomes president in 1994. And here's a man suddenly with power to really wreak vengeance. And he had every reason to do so. But it's not at all what he did. He brought to that nation a new story and he started a transformation in that nation it still goes on today I'm going to show you a little bit of an excerpt from a movie maybe some of you saw the movie Invictus but it talks about Mandela and how he started this this new story in his country that started a transformation and although it's bumpy that transformation goes on to today ah that must be Jason with the schedule come in beautiful What's this? Mr. Jason Chabalala. That's me. Am I under arrest? Captain Fader and team reporting for duty, sir. What duty? With a presidential bodyguard. We've been assigned to this office. Here are our orders. The special branch, right? You'll see that they've been signed. Well, okay, if they're signed. So just of you, sir. You look agitated, Jason. Well, that's because there are four special branch cops in my office. Oh, what did you do? Nothing. They say they're the presidential bodyguards and they have orders signed by you. Ah, yes, ah, yes. Well, uh, these men are special trained by SAS. They have lots of experience. They protected the clerk. Yes, sir, but it doesn't mean that they have to come. You asked for more men, didn't you? Yes, sir, I asked... Uh, when people see me in public, they see my bodyguards. You represent me directly. The Rainbow Nation starts here. Reconciliation starts here. Reconciliation, sir. Yes, reconciliation, Jason. Comrade President, not long ago, these guys tried to kill us. Maybe even these four guys in my office tried and often succeeded. Yes, I know. 
Forgiveness starts here too. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. Please, Jason. Try. Sorry to disturb you, sir. It's an extraordinary story that, like I say, goes on today. And of course, you know, it's about <clears throat> the nearly all-white rugby team that Mandela got behind to unite this nation. But it was reconciliation and forgiveness. He started telling a different story. The man that had every reason to be bitter, it's not the story that he lived with. It's not the story that he gave to that nation as a gift. So you change the story, you can change a person. You can even change a nation to some degree. And so this story that's been entrusted to you and to me, it makes us more than adequate, more than competent. Sometimes we feel like, I don't really have much to offer anyone. I, I don't know what I could do. I, I want to help. I want to do something, but we feel inadequate. Paul is saying, no, 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 don't ever think that way. This story, this story is powerful. It can bring to a human being the deepest longings of their soul. It can fulfill those. It can satisfy those. Nothing else can. Money can't. Fame can't. Success can't. Having your dream fulfilled can't. Racial justice or social justice, it can't ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of a human soul. You've got to get into your heart sometimes. And you've got you to find out what's really rooted down deeply in there. You want a world where everyone is loved, everyone's respected, everyone has enough, everyone's safe all the time. Everyone, everywhere they go is looked upon favorably. You want a world where there's no accidents, there's no wars, there's no crime, there's no heartbreak and deceit, there's no abandonment, there's no cruelty. You want a world where, there, a world where there's no disease, no sickness, and no death. You want a world where everybody's happy, everybody lives in harmony, and every day is good, and the next day is better than the one that just passed. You want, you really do want eternal life. Not only that, let me go further. You want to be a beautiful version of yourself inside this longing we have for attractiveness that usually shows itself on the physical realm. We struggle with that, and we can't do much about that. It's kind of whatever the, we've been dealt. But the inside, we can be beautiful, and there's a longing in us to be beautiful. This story says you will be beautiful. You will wear the image of your creator. He's going to start a work in you through this story if you welcome it into your heart and he'll just keep helping you grow, helping you change. You'll become loving. You'll become kind. You'll become compassionate. You'll become sacrificially good like the center character in the story, Jesus himself. It's a powerful story. Listen how Paul talks about the power of it again in the book of Romans in the New Testament. He said, I'm not ashamed of the good news or the story, the ultimate story, since it is God's powerful means. Notice it's the story. It's God's powerful means of bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on what? Trusting. This is a complete Jewish Bible this translation comes from, and it's a good translation. Everyone who keeps on trusting to the Jew especially, but equally to the Gentile. It goes on. For in it is revealed how God makes people righteous in his sight. And from the beginning to the end, it is through trust. He's quoting Habakkuk from the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 4. The just will live by faith or the just will live by trust. It's the same word. As the Tanakh, that's just the Old Testament. It's a way of dividing the Old Testament up into three parts. As the Tanakh puts it, but the person who is righteous will live his life by what? 
Notice trust is dynamic. Faith is dynamic. When I put my faith and my trust in Christ, who is the center of this greater story, this ultimate story, a relationship is established. I'm reconciled to God. I now, because I trust him, I want to learn his will. That's the number one giveaway right there. If I've really come to trust in Christ, I'm going to want to know his will, which is there for me in his word. And not only am I going to want to know it, I'm going to want to do it because I believe that he loves me more than I love myself, knows what's best for me, wants what's best for me. And so I'm going to start modifying my life. It's, it starts a transformational process because my trust is here today and it's tomorrow and next week and next year and next decade. It's a powerful thing, this story. Listen to what Paul says about it again in the book of Titus in the New Testament. He's speaking about Jesus, the center character, central character of the story. It says, he gave himself for us. Our God loves us. The creator, the almighty one is sacrificially devoted to you. He loves you. He gave himself for you. He gave himself for us. But, but why? why? Why did he do this? To set us free from, what does it say? Every sin. This story is so powerful. It awakens us. We, we come to see, oh no, these things that God calls sin, they are sand in the internal machinery. They are the things that are destroying me. Even when I don't know that they are, they are. And so I change from the inside and now I don't want to sin. I, it frees me from this desire to sin because I see that it's, it's destructive. It goes on to say, and to cleanse us so that we can be his special people who are enthusiastic about doing good things. Well, you're talking about a transformation here. You're talking about a story, this ultimate story, that penetrates to the heart and gets a hold of the heart and changes a person where they go from being completely self-absorbed, essentially, to being completely God and other-absorbed and living to do good to everybody that they come across and seeing sin as something that's an enemy to themselves and to everybody else. So... This story is what makes us competent ministers, and we are carriers. We are carriers if we're Christians of this story. And I'm going to talk to you more next week about this notion of, of carriers because we're broken, imperfect carriers. We all know this, but we still carry the treasure of this transformational story inside of us, and that makes us competent. Let me close with an illustration in real time in history. Back in 1968, uh, a group of North Koreans that had been trained for years to assassinate the president of South Korea, 31 assassins, highly trained, they launched their mission. They made their way into South Korea, and they got right by the presidential palace. Uh, at that point, a battle ensued, a gun battle, and the South Koreans were able to ward off these 31 assassins. They killed 29 of them. One escaped and made his way back to North Korea. One was captured. Now, the one that was captured, his name is Kim Shin Jo. And you can see his picture when he was first captured in the lower corner there. And then you can see him as a much older man. Well, the story about Kim Shin Jo becomes very interesting. When the South Koreans capture him, now, mind you, he's trying to assassinate their president. He's, he's fanatically devoted to the North Korean regime and their, uh, their ideology. But all of a sudden, they talk to him, and they talk to him warmly. They talk to him like he's a real human being in spite of his intentions to assassinate their president. One of the generals that was regular in interrogating him, he strikes up a friendship with this guy, with this would-be assassin. This goes on for the better part of a year and a half. On top of that, people from the outside get to know about this guy, this assassin. And back in North Korea, the word gets, gets back that he's becoming warm towards South Korea. And 
they kill his entire family. They kill his six brothers and sisters and his mom and his dad. People in South Korea, however, for whatever reason, they didn't look at him as a hopeless enemy. One lady in particular starts writing him while he's in prison. She's a pen pal. Who knows why? He's released two years later. The South Koreans become convinced this guy is no longer a threat, that, that he's a safe person, and they welcome him into their society. This would-be assassin. Six months later, he gets married in South Korea. He marries the pen pal lady and becomes a fully devoted follower of Christ. He's a pastor today of a very large church in Seoul, Korea. What happened? Well, that lady, that pen pal, she had the story. She had that better story, that ultimate story, that story of a God who really is there and who's rooted in history and archaeology and the prophetic evidences of his coming into this world of ours. And, and this God who cares about the deepest needs of human beings and who offers forgiveness to anyone and who receives anyone who will return to him in trust. And this guy's heart was captured. He marries this woman. She leads him to Christ. He's a pastor. And who knows how many thousands and thousands. In, in Seoul, Korea, they have enormous churches. They dwarf churches like this. How many thousands and thousands. Because the story, the, the lady, the pen pal, it, it wasn't any great adequacy or competency in her. It was the power and the competency of the story. You carry the story if you're a Christ follower. If we just share it, maybe like, like the earlier story of Judith, maybe we, we just share it by inviting somebody. The story's captured our hearts, so we invite somebody else. Maybe we just start telling people about, there's this God who's come into the world of his own making. He's proven himself to be sacrificially loving. Maybe we tell them our story, how his story's transformed us. We talk about who we were before we trusted Christ and how we lived and, and how we came to trust in him and become his follower and how our, different our life has been since. There's lots of ways that this, this story can make us competent ministers, competent servants. More importantly, this story has the power, it has the power on any given day to block out, nullify, stop that prevailing story that haunts and torments some of us to this day, that old story that's not true, it's not accurate no matter what it is, whether it's telling you you're the greatest thing alive and you're entitled to everything you want, when you want it, how you want it, or whether it's telling you you're trash, you're refuse, you're worthless, you're awful, you're condemned, don't you kid yourself. You'll never be like, you'll never be loved, you'll never fit in, you'll never be adequate, you'll never be smart enough, good enough, whatever that prevailing story might be, and there's millions of stories in between, it's never accurate, it's never trustworthy, but this good story, it's about a God who loves you, has promised you not just forgiveness, but transformation and life eternal in the world that we always have wanted deep inside, the world that's already imprinted on our hearts and minds. So here's what I'm asking you when you go today. What story are you going to allow to prevail? Let me tell you, that old story, it still creeps up on me. I've been following Christ for 45 years. On any given week, that old story... It can creep up in my soul. It can color my emotional state. And I've got to once again go back to that greater story. I've got to say, 
I am who God says I am. And that greater story is powerful to free us from that prevailing story because it's never true. It's never to be trusted. So as you leave here today, I hope you're going to determine that the great story, the ultimate story will prevail in you and that you will recognize God's entrusted you with a power and a treasure that absolutely can transform the life of another. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you would entrust us with this treasure, this story of stories, and how grateful we are for the effect that it's had on us, continues to have, and we know can have on anyone who opens their heart to it. Uh, May your spirit have his way in each of our hearts and lives today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.